4: Don't get mad. Don't get mad. My house smells, too. I'm not not indicting you. I'm sure you keep a clean home. But just time means you're going to acquire smells, whether those are cooking smells that get in your paint, your carpet. Maybe they're animal smells. Maybe you're a smoker or someone else was. Just living creates smells. I didn't realize that my home had a smell to it until I got my first Eden Pure Thunderstorm, the greatest air purifier I've ever, ever owned in my life. This thing, I had it plugged in for two hours. I came back in the room and my air smelled so clean. I now own three of them. I'm not making that up. This thing has absolutely changed me. On top of what it's done for my allergies, go get one. Get two. Be like me and get three. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE. That gets you 10 bucks off and free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com, promo code JESSE. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. Have you ever been in a tack room? A tack room for you city slickers. It's a room where you keep all the horse stuff. I'm no horse expert, but it rode' plenty. I'm talking about, you know, the saddles, the reins, so on and so forth. I've been in quite a few. My folks actually have a couple horses, so they have one. I remember going to my grandpa's farm. He used to have a farm when I was a kid. And he had a few. It wasn't, wasn't a you know huge horse operation, just a few. And I would go check out his tack room cuz I'd never seen anything like that before. And even as a small child, I was stunned at the amount of crap a horse needs. It really is amazing uh, the amount of stuff a horse needs. One horse. You get two or three, you've got the room full. Different bridles and then and, and stirrups and I mean there's it, it's endless. On top of what a horse eats, a horse, a thousand pound horse, and horses can get, you know, 2,000 pounds depending on the type of horse, a little more than 2,000 pounds. A thousand pound horse needs 25 pounds of hay a day. Tell you what, we'll come back to that. It's an interesting thing how Europe has progressed over the years, but I really find the Napoleonic era to be fascinating, really fascinating. We're talking the end of the 1700s, getting into the early part of the 1800s, and understand what we're going through here. Remember all that bubonic plague, Black Plague stuff from... The 1300s to the 1600s, they were always fighting that daggone thing off. There was even another breakout in Marseille in the 1700s, but it was carving out huge percentages of the population. And then we had kind of an industrial revolution. Flat out, that's what they called it. And technology advanced massively. And they figured out medicine, and they figured out other things. They figured out so many things. And Europe's population during this time went from about 110 million to 190 million. It just exploded. We figured out how to make sure all the babies don't die. Medicine, roads, food. Figured out trade a lot better than we ever did. And things blew up. And Europe began to remake itself in various ways. And that many more people creates more problems. That's going to be a steady theme today. It's a good thing. I'm glad there are more people. Get married. Crank out those kids, people. But also more problems with it. More people mean more food. It's It's complicated. And it really meant more problems for the monarchs of the era. We have a hard time connecting with that. You and I both do. What do we know about kings? What kings do you know? You know, the queen in England, not really any power or has power but doesn't use it. It's a weird dynamic. You know, a couple of those places in the Middle East, I'm sure, have a sultan or something. I don't know. None of my business. That's that's what you know. That's what I know, right? Not really king. But this was an era where everyone had kings. Everyone. And that was starting to go away. Starting to go away. This was an era where people were waking up and realizing I mean we should we should have some rights. How many centuries have we gone through these kings and yeah a good one works out really well but then his son turns out to be an idiot or or a crazy person and it sucks. Let's let's maybe we can move on past that. And you get this revolution in France and elsewhere where The revolutionists were called, and you don't need to confuse this with our American politics, they were called Republicans. People should have a voice. People should have representation. And they were fighting against the royalists, people who wanted a king. Which brings us to a young man born in Corsica. Corsica is not in France. It is an island south of France. It was a French colony at the time, and Napoleon was born. Now, Napoleon was short. Everybody knows that. Napoleon's French initially was terrible, meaning his French language actually spoke Italian a lot better. Eventually, though, Napoleon finds his way into France's war college. Now, keep in mind, when Napoleon got to France proper, Napoleon had a really, really, really tough time of it. In life, life can be tough when you're short. School, especially your early years, surrounded by other men, can be really cruel when you're short. Was tough on Napoleon. And when you're short and don't, don't habla... When you don't speak of the language very well, it can get a lot tougher. And so Napoleon finds his way into the military college, and he doesn't really care about socializing with other people. He cares about learning everything. And it turns out this guy, uh, this guy's a freaking genius. And a genius in an era where it's hard to be a genius. And here's what I mean by that Army sizes are growing exponentially at this time because population sizes are growing exponentially at this time. That has not been the case throughout history. You've heard me. How many ancient battles have you heard me talk about on this show? 20,000 here versus 30,000 there. On the, on the huge side, it's sixty or 70,000 here versus 50,000 there. That is, I mean, ancient times, that is a huge pitched battle. And now we're getting to the era where there are so many people in France. There are so many people in Prussia and in, in Britain and in, in Austria. There are so many people there. Well, army sizes grow as their army sizes grow. They're always warring for power. It's part of the reason George Washington in his farewell address was so, so adamant about staying out of Europe's wars. Because George Washington had seen all this his whole life. And he learned the history of it. Europe, because of their religion, because of their proximity to each other, for a million and one different regions, the Europeans are always at each other's throats. Always. I mean, we, we like to think that World War I and II were the first time there was all all oh, people. They never stopped fighting. I mean, right now is about the only peaceful time we've ever known up there. They're always fighting. And they're always fighting to be superior. That was a big part of it, too. Well, wait a minute. Austria just took this colony over there. Hey, hey, Bill! Does that mean they have more colonies than us? It does. It does, Mr. King. It does. They actually now have two more colonies with us. Well, daggone it. That's not going to work for me. I'll tell you what. Get some troops on the border. We're going to fight Austria over this last colony. And you'd fight oh, Austria over a colony and you'd gain one back. Oh, good. We, we've even things out. But now Spain's looking and they're like, whoa. Now they have two more than us. I guess we're going to fight them. And if it sounds insane, believe me, read through the history. That's That's what it's like. It's insane. Insane obsession with power. Hang on. We got a lot to talk about today. Now, because this is a time of advancing technology when it comes to muskets and cannons, because this is a time of increased army sizes, and it's a time of animosity, as I said, there are constantly battles everywhere. Everywhere. Not these gigantic all-encompassing wars of domination, either. It really wasn't that way. It just wasn't that way. It was, I certainly don't want to call it gentlemanly because wars not gentlemanly. It was horrible, and there was death, and there was destruction, and there was famine, and it was awful, but Austria squares off against Spain. They have a pitched battle. Austria wins. Oh, man, that sucks. All right, then they have another pitch battle, and Austria wins. It was expected and happened that, okay, well, clearly Spain lost this round. Spain can come to terms. Give Austria a little territory, a little money. Okay, you won that one, bud. We're good. Everything wasn't like the ancient Roman times or really the times before this. You know, the Mongols chopping off the heads of everyone in a in a, in a city of a half million people it just wasn't that way in general and you have this young hotshot commander in France Napoleon and when i say hotshot this dude too many battles than i can name for you but he starts out as obviously you know, a captain, lieutenant, he's this lowly officer, and everything they tell him to do, he dominates. He's kicking the crap out of people. They finally make this guy a brigadier general at the, in his 20s. And understand this. It's kind of funny when you think about it because everybody knows how the story ends. He's not one of the royalists. He's a Republican. He wants to rid of the monarchies and the king. Get rid of them all. And eventually, Napoleon works his way up, and he's made consul. Now, they had three consuls, but everybody kind of knew, we, we have one consul. There's there's only one dude calling the shots around here. <laughs> We're going to let you have it on your business card, but you go ahead and go home, okay? We don't need you today. We We have the guy we need. And Napoleon is running things. And Napoleon begins to expand. Begins to expand his sphere of influence. And he is, remember how I said there were always that, you know, lobster in the bucket mentality. Austria can't have more than Prussia, can't have more than Spain, can't have more than Britain, can't have more than France. Everything was always seeking a balance through battle. Uh, uh this guy's getting too big. We got to do something about that. Well... Every now and then, every once in a while throughout history, somebody emerges, and he's just superior to everybody else, far superior to everybody else. It's actually funny. I was watching, as a quick side note last night on this theme, I was watching that uh, great show right now on ESPN called Last Dance about the... Bulls final season, everybody remembers the Bulls in the NBA and when Jordan was at his height. And if you're too young for that, just know that Michael Jordan at the height of his popularity was bigger than all the 10 sports stars you can name combined. Jordan was everything. He was in every commercial. He was easily the most famous person on the planet. Jordan was bigger than any athlete you'll ever know and probably will ever know again. It's just too diversified now. Jordan was huge. But there's this scene where they they put together the dream team. And you remember the dream team. I think it was from the 92 Olympics. It had never been done before. They took all the greatest players in the NBA and put them on one team. And we're talking Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and I, all the best players. Not the all-stars, the all-stars of the all-stars. And they put them, I mean, legends, the greatest players ever to play on one team because they're all still playing during this era. And they have this practice, and they're scrimmaging against each other. And Magic Johnson, just talking trash, normal basketball trash, says something to make Michael Jordan mad. And playing against all the other greatest players, frankly, of all time, Jordan goes off and destroys everybody and wins it. And they talked about it after how, oh, my gosh, um, this is – Okay, he's it was against the alpha male, alpha males, they were all like, okay, well, this guy's the one that's going to go ahead and lead everything. He's He's better than everyone else. And you have this with Napoleon in this era in Europe. There is no more balance, Jack, and Napoleon knows it, and they know it. This guy keeps fighting battles against people, battles he should lose, battles that should be even, and he is kicking the crap out of everyone. He even, at one point in time, goes down to Egypt and takes Alexandria. If that sounds weird, it is weird. It was a British colony. He managed to sneak his fleet by the British fleet because then, you know, you know that British fleet, you really didn't want to see them on the high seas. He slips them by, lands 25,000 dudes in Alexandria, of course dominates, takes Alexandria, and then British, Britain promptly finds the fleet that slipped by and destroys it, so now he's got 25,000 men stuck in Alexandria, which wasn't ideal. But it's kind of funny, as another little side note. He just chose to chill out in Egypt for a while. And the reason I say it's kind of funny, how consistent that theme is with the conquerors in history. There's something... In Egypt. There's something about Egypt. I don't know whether it's a Pharaoh thing because there's so much amazing history there. There's something about that place that draws these people in. Julius Caesar spent some uh, <clears throat> quality time with Cleopatra there. Mark Antony went there. Alexander the Great. Went there, spent some time. You remember that really cool story? It's one of my favorite stories in history. They buried Alexander the Great there, and then Caesar Augustus, who was—I mean—sent uh, decades after Alexander the Great. But remember, the Romans thought Alexander the Great; everybody did in ancient history. Thought he was the bomb diggity. He shows up, and Caesar Augustus shows up there and says, "Uh, I want to see the tomb of Alexander the Great." And they said, "Okay, well." We'll, we'll, take it. we'll take you there, and then we'll show you all the other kings we've had here. And Caesar Augustus says, I came to see a king, not a bunch of corpses. But there's something about Egypt, and it sucked Napoleon in, too. He just liked to chill out for a while. Maybe it's because of the rumors that the old ancient Egyptian women shaved all their body here. I don't know. I don't want to make any suggestions, but that's whatever. They apparently enjoyed themselves in Egypt. Napoleon eventually gets word that there's a rebellion against him because by this point in time, he is emperor, emperor of France. By the time he gets back, his army has already kicked the crap out of the rebellion. He's still emperor. Now, this part gets a little complicated because history is complicated. Couple things about Napoleon being emperor. He still kind of considered himself to be a Republican while he made himself a monarch. And in fact, even had it put into law that he got to pick the next monarch. But it wasn't all bad, but kind of (laughs) bad. I'll explain in a second. You need sleep. I'm staring right now at producer Chris, and he looks like a freaking zombie. Why? Couldn't sleep. I know what it's like. I'm not not judging you. I've been there so many times. And what is amazing is the different person I am when I sleep versus when I don't sleep. I'm angry. I'm stupid. My mind doesn't work right. I can even tell it's not working right. Look, I don't have to explain it to you. You're a bad person when you don't sleep. You're a good person when you do. Get an ebb sleep because it actually goes after the reason you can't sleep, those thoughts racing through your head. I know what it's like. You lay down, you can't turn them off. If you get an ebb sleep, it's a wearable solution, a wearable solution that targets that forehead. Go to tryeb.com slash jessie. That's tryebb.com slash jesse. Use the code Jesse at checkout for 25 bucks off. So Napoleon's an emperor, and in fairness to him, it wasn't a bad one. He, he actually put in reforms as far as individual rights, which sounds funny as an emperor. He put in reforms that are still kind of in place to this day. Religious freedom really wasn't bad, but Napoleon still had battles to win. Got, got a bit bogged down in Spain, still fighting with Austria, still fighting with Prussia, still fighting with Russia. It's He's fighting with everybody. But who he really, really hated was Britain. You know, it may have been England at this time. I can't tell. Nobody ever knows what's, what's going on over there. It's the UK. It's Britain. It's England. It's, it's, I have no idea. You know where I'm talking about. The big island, cold and rainy, crappy food. And Napoleon can't get there because of their fleet. The the British fleet is phenomenal. Everybody knows that. It's how they conquered the world. He can't get there. If he could get his army there, he would dominate. But the easiest way to take out 10,000 troops is sink them in the English Channel before they can even get there. And England would. Hitler ran into this same thing. This is a consistent theme throughout history. The Germans ran into it in World War I. We can't get there if we could just get there. And Britain, very intelligently, always played to their strengths. No, we don't have vast armies, but we are an island. And if we just kind of specialize in this ocean thing, I think we can do seriously well for ourselves and they did and now napoleon's trying to figure out what to do about it so what they did was then they each did it to themselves they blockaded each other you see england blockaded you know napoleon but napoleon owned all this ground it had all these people who had who had been forced to sign treaties with him so he bans the sale of british goods britain made its living on trade no, And now, tell me if this sounds familiar. Both of their economies are in a race to the bottom. To the bottom. And Napoleon thinks he's going to win that race. He does. And he probably would. Except for Russia. And let me just quickly say, I am giving you... The ultimate 30,000 foot view of this entire escapade. That's easy for me to say, but this contains this period of time I'm talking about more awesome battles and treaties and betrayals and broken treaties and things than I could ever put into one show that I'm going to cover one individual part of it that I haven't even gotten to yet. We're going to have other parts. We'll do it other times. But just know if this is a subject in any way that fascinates you, which it always did me, dig into it. There's a lot there. I am am really giving you the high points. So Russia decides, well, screw Napoleon. We're going to deal with the British. Thus making Napoleon the loser and that losing race to the bottom. Napoleon's not going to just stand for that. And so Napoleon begins to plan for war with Russia, an invasion of Russia. And now I need to bring up a couple critical things. One, Napoleon was, to his benefit and to his detriment, famous, famous for this. Not necessarily needing A ton of supply, he needed tons of supply, but Napoleon's armies ravaged the lands they invaded, thus making them incredibly, incredibly unpopular in the lands they invaded. It's one thing to have, you know, picture that street that runs outside of your house. If there was an army marching through it, a foreign army, that would be a little disconcerting, but not the end of the world, right? However, if that army kicked in your front door and took everything you own and left you stranded on the street with your house burning down, now we've got a problem, right? And that's how they conducted business. They supplied themselves off the land, not exclusively, but mostly. Now, Napoleon gets an army together called the Grand Army. 500,000, 600,000, put whatever number you want on it. I'm going to say 500,000. They think it was probably six, but I'm just saying five because, again, nobody ever knows. No one can ever give you an exact count. I don't know how you lose 100,000 people somewhere, but nobody ever knows. We're calling it half a mil, all right? His plan was not. His plan was not to invade and take over every square inch of Russia. Contrary to anything you've ever read historically, that was not his plan. Remember when I told you this was a different era where you fight one pitched battle, two pitch battle, maybe three pitch battles, possibly four. And then look, if you want all those, Hey, let's just do a treaty. We're done here. You won. Okay, fine here. Have a little territory, have a little money. We're all good, right? His plan was to go 40 miles, well, 40 days, I should say, 40 days into Russia. He even set up a city, a supply depot for his army, giving them 40 days worth of provisions. But keep in mind, I read this, I don't remember where I read it. He has half a million, right? An army army. Of 250,000 troops, trying to put this in your mind, an army of 250,000, that's half his army, needs 4,000 wagons a day of supplies. Remember in the beginning when I talked about that horse, few horses? Yeah. Now make that 100,000 horses. 500,000 troops. And to his credit, Napoleon was always good at this logistics. What's that old saying? I blatantly stole from somebody because I looked up the quote a million times. I have no idea where it came from. Amateurs study tactics. Professionals study logistics. Napoleon understood this. He moved with speed. He knew he had to supply his army. He was ready for this. He enters Russia with this grand army, and the Russians began to engage. It is not winter yet. get that out of your mind. We are not there yet. But he starts to fight these huge battles with the Russians. And the Russians fight well, but the Russians lose. However when the Russians lose, They lose well. What do I mean by that? You've heard me talk about it a million times. You'll hear me talk about it a million more times in battles, individual battles. The massive, massive loss of life you see comes from one of two things happening. In general, only one of two things happening. It does not come from, you know, we're squaring off, we're going head to head, and finally your guys are so much better, you just slaughter us all. That's not how it works. It either comes from being surrounded, if you make a tactical mistake and you allow them to surround you, or it comes from you turning and running away, called routing. You turn, run the other direction, that's when you get mowed down like grass. The Russians did something different, and that's going to be the point of our story. Hang on one sec. Napoleon's plan goes really well, takes off into Russia, gets in these big battles with Russia's army. Keep in mind, it's oftentimes presented like Russia's army was just a bunch of bumbling idiot hicks. Russia had an excellent army at this time. But again, you're facing off against Michael Jordan and they got the crap kicked out of him. And Napoleon, well, finds himself at a point of frustration. He's winning these battles, and Russia isn't submitting. Does that sound familiar at all? It should, because that's pretty much exactly what happened to Hitler. Which it's actually really funny when you think about it from Hitler's point of view. People like to present him as this idiot And he was kind of an idiot and certainly an evil human being, but Hitler and his people studied Napoleon's disaster, which we're about to talk about extensively, specifically not wanting to repeat Napoleon's mistakes. And they repeated basically all of them. The Nazis kicked the crap out of the Russians all the way into Russia until the Russians finally got their act together and started pushing back. But Napoleon gets to Moscow, and I need to clarify a couple things. There's a way of thinking out there that Moscow was burned to the ground when Napoleon got there. No, that's not true. It actually would have been more beneficial to Napoleon if it was true. Let me explain. Moscow, when he got there, was partially burned to the ground. There were plenty of buildings to hide in. There were some supplies, but not enough. There was a little food, but not near enough. And it would have benefited Napoleon if the entire place had been razed to the ground because he would have got to that smoldering wreckage and knew, I can't wait here. Instead, he got to that place partially burned, mostly stripped, and told himself, I mean, look, they're going to submit any moment. I'm sure the letter, I'm sure the check is in the mail, baby. We got some wounded dudes. We've been fighting some battles. I'll tell you what we're going to do. I realize it's September. And as Game of Thrones told us, winter is coming. But let's just hang out. We're going to hunker down for a little while. We're going to hang out. I'm sure the treaty's coming. And let's let our wounded guys get patched up. We're fine. Now, I'm saying this obviously tongue in cheek, but I do need to clarify this. It's a common thing to say hindsight's 2020, but hindsight really is 2020. I am Jesse Kelly. I have less than three years of community college credits. When it comes to military strategy, I'm not fit to shine Napoleon's shoes. Everybody loves to point out this huge mistake, which Napoleon himself admitted a million times. Um, Napoleon is whatever that level below a god is militarily. That's Napoleon. Yes. Humongous mistake. Yes, we can make fun of him for it. Uh, d- don't, don't lose sight of who Napoleon was. You can call him evil. You can call him anything you want. That's fine. Napoleon was a stud militarily and all things being equal, if you had to pick one man throughout the history of mankind to lead your huge army on a massive conquest, your one man would probably be Genghis Khan, maybe Julius Caesar, but Napoleon is in that conversation. I promise you that Napoleon is in that conversation. But he's in Moscow, and he waits a week. September, mind you, we're in Moscow, and he waits another week. And in case you're wondering, well, what's he doing? He's got to know the cold is coming. He's got to know that famous Russian winter is coming. Yeah, but another thing that kind of worked against him is it actually wasn't that cold at this moment. It was unseasonably warm oftentimes too warm during the day they needed extra water so you know winters coming and it's you know it's around the corner but I mean it's not it's certainly not here yet hey can we wear shorts then he waits another week and he waits another week and now you have your army of 500,000. And you're in the middle of Russia. And it's October 1st. And now, well, now you're in trouble. Because the treaty that you were waiting to come, that submission that was surely around the corner any second, it never shows up at the door. Ever. And now you have to get out. You don't have the supplies. Remember that horse tack room I told you about? The food the horse needed for one. You still have over a hundred thousand of them, thousand of them. You still have half a million troops, and winter is coming. .com. Remember the name because you are probably going to need them in the near future and want them for quite a while after that. Why do I say need them? Well, they have face masks. They have good 30-day face masks that give you 92.2% antibacterial protection. Maybe you're one of those vulnerable, vulnerable people who wants to wear one. Maybe your city is requiring you to wear one. I can't believe that's where we are, but that's where we are. Or maybe your employer is. People haven't thought about that, but employers are starting to require workers to wear these as they return to work. No matter what, Boomer Naturals has you covered, and they have several other products, too, all natural. I love that. Go to boomernaturals.com and when you use the code JESSE20 at checkout, you actually save 20% every single time you shop. Boomernaturals.com. Polian knew how much trouble he was in now. You can say, well, why didn't he leave earlier? Again, If you're right on the cusp of that win, and you know any day a rider could come rolling through town with the treaty in his hand, you wait, don't you? You can say you don't, but you think you do? We've got it won. I'm finally going to... They're not showing up. And finally he cuts his losses and turns and takes off for home and they're already getting hungry and the sky's already getting dark and you look around and a lot of guys are starting to cough and a lot of guys are starting to limp and um, a big part of your force You wake up one day and it's not there anymore. I'll explain about that. Hang on. Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Remember when we talked earlier about routing or getting surrounded? How you get wiped out. Remember the Russians earlier when they were losing battles. Or sometimes not even fighting battles. They did what Russians do so well. What every great army or smart nation does well. You know Britain with the great navy. Russia realizes their great strength. Is their horrible weather. And the vastness of their terrain. So when they would lose. When they would retreat. When, when, the, when, the, when the battle was lost. They didn't. They didn't stay and fight to the last man. Makes for a great movie, right? We all love 300. We all love the Alamo. They didn't do that, though. They just let's retreat. It's called retreating in good order. That's a nice way of saying they didn't throw their weapons and turn around and sprint and get slaughtered, they just backed away. So, your army, and I'm making up this number, your army of 100,000 that loses a battle, you end that battle, and you still have an army of 90,000. Or you could have turned and and thrown down your weapons and lose 80,000. And what I'm saying is by the time Napoleon leaves Moscow, that Russian army I don't want to call it intact because it wasn't. They they'd fought these huge battles with Napoleon. And I keep calling Napoleon's army 500,000. By this point, it was not. He had lost several. He had lost over, over two or 300,000 men by all estimates. And still so had the Russians. They had been beating each other up. But Russia still had an army. Russia just backed off and waited. And now Napoleon takes off. And his people are starving because there's no food to forage. The Russians had burnt, you know, that scorched earth campaign. They destroyed everything. And it's Russia. To be fair, there's not a lot there to begin with. (laughs) I mean, it's a funny place. It is a vast place. I've talked to people on who are experts in Russia because the country fascinates me. It's so vast There's not even a lot of natural resources in Russia. There just aren't. I mean, there's some stuff, obviously, because it's so big, but you would think they'd be resource rich. No, no, no. America is resource rich. As a brief side note, never forget how lucky you are to live in the United States of America. You have two relatively friendly neighbors, a vast ocean on your right, a vast ocean on your left, and people. We have so many natural resources here. It's stunning. When they found the United States of America, they quite literally found a gold mine and an oil mine and every other kind of daggone mine you want. We are sitting on a huge bank vault. That's part of the reason you live the way you live. And another part of the reason is Napoleon. You know that little Louisiana Purchase thing, the thing that essentially bought the entire western United States of America, guess who sold that to us? Napoleon did. France had won that from Spain. That all belonged to France, and America bought it for pennies on the dollar. Napoleon made a fortune. America became America. But Napoleon takes off from Moscow. Disease is weighing him down. Starvation is weighing him down. And we don't talk enough about how those things tie in hand in hand. Your body fights its own battles. Your body, the best defense against any disease, any disease. Obviously, that we have great medicines. We have vaccines. I'm not putting those down. You really, really, really need your immune system. And your immune system, your body, runs off of fuel, food. And when you don't have it, your body gets weak and more susceptible to disease. That's why disease ravages cities that are under siege and begin starving. That's why disease ravages armies that run out of food. And Napoleon's guys are dying. And try for a moment... To put yourself in that situation where you are on the march with one, 200,000 men, however many he had left left at this time. You're in a hurry. You are battling against the Russian army that is now harassing you daily. And you're in a battle against winter. Because it's starting to get cold. And you can't march at whatever a normal soldier can march at. I don't know what their pace would be at this time. I would normally call it, you know, four miles an hour. But are you marching four miles an hour when your men are so weak they can hardly stand? Are you marching four miles an hour when you constantly have to stop and help up the next guy who collapsed? Are you marching at four miles an hour when you're stuck in the mud? It's funny, you don't hear much about mud tying into historical battles, historical wars, but boy, you do enough reading into it, it matters a lot. I think about the, the Battle at Passchendaele of World War One, where guys were quite literally drowning in mud. It was so deep and so thick. I have personally been involved in mud with a weapon in my hands. And nothing sucks worse. It doesn't just suck your boots into the ground. It sucks the life out of you. And when you're living in horses and carriages, man, that sucks. And did I mention the harassment of the army? I know I did. But the Russians had these Cossacks, ferocious fighters, horseback fighters, and they begin to slaughter the Russian troops. And it's not even freezing yet. They're getting crushed and it's not even freezing yet. Finally, they get to a bridge to cross the river and the Russians have it blockaded. They can't even cross the river. Long story short, Napoleon emerges from Russia by some estimates with 40,000 troops left. Some say 20,000. Do you remember how many he entered with people. The greatest military disaster or one of them in the history of mankind. And why did it happen? Well, there are a ton of different reasons why. People have examined it. Every war college on earth has examined it from that time until now. But you know, if you dig into it enough, it wasn't even the freezing to death. It wasn't even really the starvation and disease, although that was obviously a huge cause for loss of life. It was the fact that Russia never had to submit while Napoleon was in not Moscow because they still had an army and because they could slaughter Napoleon on his way out. Why? Because they still had an army. And Why? Did they still have an army? Because Russia realized time is on their side. We don't have to fight to the last man. We know what you have to do. We know what you will do. And because of that, I don't have to do some, I'm a man. I'm fighting till we're all dead. Russians have always understood, "Eh, Actually, I'm just going to back away here 50 miles, burn everything, and let you keep coming to me. You see, when you're fighting the short game, you will always, always lose against the guy fighting the long game. We have two entities out there right now fighting the long game, and we had better start fighting it or we are toast. Hang on. You don't have to dip forever. You know that, Ryan. You don't have to smoke forever. And the reason I say it like that is I have been that guy. I, I've been that guy. I dipped for so long and what would happen is I would decide I'm going to quit. Ah, oh, it's bad for me. I'm going to quit. I'm a man. I don't need any help. I'm just going to quit cold turkey. And I would fail time and time and time again. I tried things like the patch. That didn't work. Gum, sunflower seeds. I, I tried it all. It's just a matter of finding the right thing to help you quit. That's Jake's Mint chew. Go, put in your dip. Just make sure it's Jake's Mint chew. It's tobacco-free. It's nicotine-free, it's even sugar-free. And I highly recommend, just a personal choice, I highly recommend their CBD pouches because it really helps take that extra edge off. Get a jakesmintchew.com, that's jakesmintchew.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE at checkout. When you do that, you get 10% off.
0: I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States.